Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. We are in a series of messages we've entitled Knowing Your Enemy. And today, this is kind of like a subtitle in it. This is part two of Jesus the Deliverer. But in 2 Corinthians 2.11, it tells us, least Satan should take advantage of us because we're not ignorant of his devices. Unfortunately, most of the church today is ignorant of the devil's devices. In fact, many people don't even believe there is a devil. The devil is not the figment of somebody's imagination. It is not the Bible placating to an ignorant people. The devil is not the sum total of all the evil in the universe. The devil is a malevolent being, a fallen angel who hates your soul, who comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he is your personal enemy, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9 says, Resist him steadfast in the faith. By the way, the Bible says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Now, most people that even believe in the devil, Christians, they simply assume that when it talks about resisting the devil, it's talking about resisting a temptation to do something wrong. And that is part of resisting the devil. But the Bible tells us in 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So it's not just a thought or a temptation to sin. But what does the devil bring? What are his works? Jesus said, John 10, 10, he comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. In other words, when we resist the devil, it's not just resisting temptation. We resist everything that he comes with, right? Now, in fact, dealing with the devil is part of the kingdom of God. Again, many Christians live their entire life, and they live as if the devil did not even exist, Right? But the Bible tells us to resist the devil. And if you're not resisting, he's not leaving. The Bible says resist him and he will flee. But if you don't resist, he is not going to flee. But in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus has cast out an evil spirit. And the Pharisees are coming with false accusations. And this is what Jesus said. But if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of God is when God's will is done on the earth like it is in heaven. But we're to pray, your kingdom come. Jesus said that part of the kingdom of God is confronting the devil. He said, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God, all right, has come to you, right? So when you and I confront the devil, that is part of the kingdom, right? Now, when we pray your kingdom come, 
It shouldn't just be we're expecting God to do something. We need to realize that we have a part in bringing the kingdom. Right? We have a part in doing that. So Jesus goes on and he says, or how can one enter a strong man's house unless he plunder his goods? To plunder his goods unless he first bind the strong man. And then he will plunder his house. Right? The devil is considered here the strong man. But you know who the stronger man is? It's Jesus. Right? And not only is it Jesus, it's you. You are the one who today has authority over the devil because of what Jesus has done for us. In, in fact, Dan, is, is, uh, he was ministering communion to us today. He talked about Colossians 2, verse 15, and we did, we did not get together on this, but I wanted to use that this morning. Let me give you a little bit of what Jesus did here. It says, he, Jesus, disarmed principalities and powers, that's Satan and demons, who fought against him. Right? Now, you can look at Psalms 22, and it t- it's really a picture of Jesus on the cross. And it talks a- 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 about the bulls of Basham being around him. It's actually talking about evil spirits he- that fought against him and put them to open shame, leaving them ca- leading them captive in triumph of Christ. So Jesus defeated the devil. And the Bible says, put him to open shame. Philip's translation says, having drawn the sting of all the powers ranged against us. Against whom? Against us. Right? Because just like in Adam, all sinned, in Adam, you were there. Right? And you sinned. He was our representative. But Jesus is also our representative. And what Jesus did on the cross is not just accredited to Jesus. In God's economy, you were there. The Bible says your old man was crucified with Christ. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, if I go to the cross, he said, I will draw all men into myself. He represented you and I in everything that he did. He exposed them, shattered, empty, and defeated in the final glorious triumph. So Jesus shattered, emptied, and defeated Satan and demon power. This is my, one of my favorite translations. And he himself, he set himself and us free. Who did he set free? Himself and us. He set himself and us free from all the spirit powers of evil on the cross and put them to open shame and triumph over them. Noli said it this way. He despoiled the eternal dominions and realms and dragged their rulers as captives in procession. And through his cross, he led, led all us to triumph. So he dragged Satan and demon power through downtown eternity and showed them as defeated foes. Now, I think we need to understand, to at least some degree, what happened from the cross to the throne. You realize there were three days from when Jesus was on that cross and then ascended and took a seat at the right hand of God the Father. There were three days. What happened? Well, Acts 2.24 tells us this. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains 
of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Uh, how many of you went to a church or at one time, sometime you have heard the Apostles' Creed? Right? There's a line in the Apostles' Creed, right? and, and by the way, it is the oldest creed the church has. Uh, we have the Apostles' Creed in its basic form that we have it today by 110, about 10 years after John the Apostle died. The Apostles' Creed was in the basic form that it's in today. And how do you remember the line that says he descended into... Where did he descend into? He descended into hell. And that's what it's talking about right here. It says, having loosed the pangs of death. Jesus went to hell. He suffered. But he did not just stay a defeated foe. The Bible tells us this in 1 Peter 3, verse 19. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Who were formerly disobedient. When once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Now, disobedient spirits, ungodly people, died in the time of Noah. And they went to what the Bible calls a place called Sheol or Hades, a place of torment. Right? Jesus went there. Right? And it says he preached to him. Better translation would be he proclaimed or he announced. Jesus said to all of those disobedient, ungodly spirits, he said, it was prophesied that the Messiah was going to come. It was prophesied he was going to defeat the devil. It was prophesied that he was going to defeat death. And Jesus proclaimed to them that now I have come. All right? And this is what he said in Revelation. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. He said, I defeated the devil. I defeated death. And you read this, and this is what we need to understand. The devil does not even have the keys to his own house. Jesus totally defeated the devil. Johnson translation says it this way. By his resurrection, Christ demonstrated the emptiness of every earthly power when God acts. You have the kind of triumph in life because of your relationship to God through Jesus. In other words, the victory that Jesus has is your victory. Crest translation says he won the victory over the powers and rulers and showed that they had no power at all. Right? The guilt, the shame, the condemnation, every bit of power the devil had, Jesus took it. Love it says it this way. He said he openly displayed Jesus' triumph over Satan, declaring him and his entire band of spirits down to the last demon. He disarmed him and his entire band of spirits down to the last demon. There's not one demon that has power. Jesus stripped every one of them of their power over you. In fact, in Ephesians 3 and 10, it says it this way. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Now, the church is not this building. You are the church. God wants to do something by the church. What is it? He wants to make known by the church to principalities and powers in heavenly places, 
their defeat. He wants you and I to demonstrate Satan's defeat against principalities and powers against Satan and demon power. That's your job. That's my job. We are the church and God wants us to use the authority that he's given us. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Verse nine, resist him steadfast in the faith. In fact, in the amplified translation of Romans 5, 17, it says this and given us the free gift of righteousness, putting them or us in right standing with himself, reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. The Bible says that you and I should reign as kings because of what Jesus did for us in his death burial and resurrection. You know, Jesus' ministry was in constant conflict with the devil. For this purpose, the son of God was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. Every place Jesus came, he confronted the devil. Matthew 8, 16 says, when evening had come, they brought to him, Jesus, many who were demon possessed. And he cast out the spirit with the word and healed all who were sick. Notice there's a difference between the sick and the demon possessed. But the new King James says demon possessed. The King James says, yeah, demon possessed. The, the King James says possessed with devils. Um, really, that's a pretty bad translation. And the reason was, you know, this was translated, your King James Bible, back in 1611, right? Early 17th century. And there was a tremendous fixation on Satan, on the occult, on witchcraft, and on demons. Right? The, 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 the Greek actually just says this, that they were demonized right? or exercised or vexed by a demon. You could, you could literally translate it having demon trouble. Right? Having demon trouble. Williams' translation says that this, many who were under the power of the devil... And of course, 1 John 5, 19 says, we know positively that we're of God and the whole world around us is under the power, the control, or the sway of the devil. People ask, well, if God's in control of everything, why is there such a mess? Because the devil is out there and the whole world is under the control of whom? The power of whom? The devil who comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So we're going to go back to Mark chapter 5, and I'm going to literally read the first 20 verses. And this is an extreme example of demon possession. All right. Now, well, let me read, and then we'll talk about it. It says, And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains because he has often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains have been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out, cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. 
And he cried out with a loud voice and said, what do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you don't torment me. And he said to him, come out of the man unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what's your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion for we're many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he wouldn't send him out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. Now, an evil spirit can do very little without taking possession of a physical body. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, when an evil spirit goes out of a man, it passes through dry or arid places. And then it says, I will go back to my house from whence I came out. Now, when he says my house, he's talking about your body. See, when you participate with the devil and give him place, he believes you belong to him. He believes your body belongs to him. So he said, so send, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And if, if a demon cannot be in a human, it will try. A, it will even try an animal, because they can. The, the the way that they can manifest is very very small, except they take possession of some sort of a physical body. At once Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about two thousand. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea and were drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine, they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it had happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in the Decapolis at the ten-city region all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. So this man became demonized. Right? Now, the Bible does not tell us exactly what happened. But it gives us a very, very strong indication, right? People become demonized when they open the door to the devil, right? That you can open the door through continual sin, bitterness, hatred, particularly through the occult, false religions, right? And unnatural sex, right? I'm going to repeat that, unnatural sexual behavior, opens the door for the devil. Now, most likely that is what happened to this man because the Bible says he had an unclean spirit. That is an unclean, perverse, sexual spirit, right? When it talks about an unclean spirit, it's talking about sexual perversion. Now, people have asked me and said, you know, why is it in foreign countries? In fact, I have a friend whose son was just in Africa and was in a a large Christian meeting, and his son is not a Christian, and he had a camera, and they had him uh, recording, and and there's just, I saw the recording, and there's just all sorts of demonic manifestations taking place, and his son is absolutely freaking out because he's never seen anything like it. Now listen, you find extreme 
demonic possession or person being demonized, particularly through the occult, false religions, and unnatural sexual behavior. All right? I want you to understand this. In the next decade, I expect to see all kinds of demonic manifestations that we have never seen in our country. And you say, why is that? Because in our school system today, they are promoting unnatural, ungodly sexual behavior. This whole LBGTQ plus stuff is demonic. It's demonic, and it is the antichrist spirit. Now, that doesn't mean we don't love people that are, that are being attacked by the enemy. We love them, but we need to recognize it is the enemy, right? And it is unnatural, ungodly sexual behavior that is going to open people up to demonic activity in their life like we have not seen in our country in the past. Those days are coming, all right? So this man eventually, he, he literally becomes demonized. Right? He cuts off all association with friends and family and becomes what we would say clinically insane. And he is driven by demons. And he's living in caves by the sea. Right? Now, these caves are tombs. Right? In fact, when you go to Israel, you'll probably take in and go on a boat and go on the Sea of Galilee. This is the one thing we know exactly where this took place. Because there's only one place on the Sea of Galilee where there's cliffs and tombs. And that's where they buried their dead. So this man is living in the cemeteries. All right? He wears no clothes. He's mutilating his body. He is cutting himself. How many of you know that's coming back? All right? It's demonic. He has no rest. The Bible says he is moving day and night. He's crying out. He's howling. He's making noises. People are afraid of him because he's become extremely violent, right? They have taken and captured him and put him in chains. And he literally, by demon power, breaks those chains. But when Jesus came into the region, he sees Jesus from afar off. He runs, he falls down at Jesus' feet, and he worships Jesus. And we'll say this again. 6,000 demons are telling him to go the other way. But the devil can't stop him. Listen. Flip Wilson said, the devil made me do it. The devil can't make you do it. He cannot make you do it. You have a will, and you need to surrender that will to the devil. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the last verse. It says, having been taken captive by him, Satan, to do his will. When your will becomes passive, and you do not resist the devil, the devil will come in. And this man, in spite of being demonized... He gets his will together. He runs to Jesus. He realizes there is help. Right? Jesus rebukes the spirit. The spirit's asked to go into the pigs that are nearby. Jesus gives them permission, and immediately those pigs commit suicide. And then this man, the Bible says, they find him sitting at Jesus' feet with clothes on and in his right mind. Right? This is an extreme example. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the first thing that happened was a withdrawal from social interaction. He withdrew from his friends and his family. The devil always wants to isolate you. He wants you alone. He wants you isolated. He wants you depressed. And he wants you suicidal. Right? And his first tactic is isolation. Right? Then the, a tormented mental state. 
And we talked about that a few weeks ago. Now, number three is chronic depression. Right? Chronic depression. The Bible calls it a spirit of heaviness. All right? And that word literally means dark, smoky. It means to be weighed down. Right? In, in Isaiah 61, in verse 3, it says, To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. Listen, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. All right? Depression when it grows, is actually motivated by an evil spirit. Right? But notice what it says, the garment of praise. So you put on praise, and it's for or in exchange for that spirit of heaviness. The devil, we're not talking about having a bad day, all right? Just in some emotional blues. But in a demonic attack, where you always, it's just like there's hopelessness. Uh, you feel helpless, depressed, negative. Right? So God says this. He says, if you will begin to praise, you will begin to put on that garment of thanksgiving and you begin to thank God for what's going on in your life, for his promises, for what he's done for you. You begin to thank God. And what happens is that depression has to go. Isaiah 26, three, listen to this. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because you trust in him. Now, the word mind there in the Hebrew is the word yester, right? And it means imagination and conception, right? In other words, if you keep your mind on what God has promised, on the goodness of God, and you keep your mind there, you're meditating, you're thinking about the things that God has promised you, the things that God has done for you, God says, I'll keep you in perfect peace. So, listen, feelings follow thoughts, not thoughts follow feelings. Right? It's really important. Well, this is what I feel. Well, start changing what you're thinking about and you'll change what you feel. You see, today we live in a society, well, this is what I feel like. I'm a woman. Well, big deal. You're not. If you aren't one, you know, if you are one, well, praise God, feel like one. Right? See, but what you think about is going to determine what you feel. Right? And let me say something else about this, particularly when we're talking about sexual dysphoria. Right? A demon spirit tries to make you what it is. All right? I remember years ago, a young man came up to me and said, said I, I think I'm a homosexual. This is what I said to him. You're not a homosexual, but there is a perverse sexual demon that has attached itself to you, and it will try to make you what it is. It will make you what it is, all right? You see, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, all right? Do you know that you, you start to think fearful thoughts, and you give place to a spirit of fear. That spirit of fear will try to make you what it is, all right? And, and know this, and I'm going to talk about this. Uh, spirits are the most fearful, demon spirits are the most fearful things on planet Earth. They are extremely fearful of what is coming to them. So we can say it like this. <clears throat> if you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind 
whose meditation right, is stayed on you. So you keep thinking about what God says about you. Right? Now, a lot of people, you talk about meditation, you know, they think sitting in a lotus position and humming. All right? Bible meditation is filling yourself with God's word and applying God's word to your life. It's not emptying yourself, it's filling yourself. It's the exact opposite of Eastern meditation. Now, we all know how to meditate, whether we know it or not. Because meditation, well, put it this way, fear, worry, worry is meditation. How many have ever worried? Right? Your mind is painting the worst case scenario. What's going to happen? And, and you, you go to bed at night and instead of sleeping, your mind is just going and going and going and going. And it's painting the worst possible case scenario. All right? Your mind's going wild. Right? You're worrying. Right? Meditation is putting God's word in your mind and thinking and thinking and thinking about and talking about and picturing yourself, picturing that word of God coming to pass in your life. That's what meditation is. That's what it's talking about here. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind. Again, the word there, it means imagination and conception. Right? Where you, can, you, you, you will not do something unless you first think about it. Right? It's, your, it's your, the, the area of your conception. So a great example is found in Psalms 133. Excuse me, 137. So the children of Israel have had a prophet by the name of Jeremiah, who's been prophesying for decades. And he says, return to the Lord. Come back to God. And if you do not come back to God, the king of Babylon is going to come. He's going to take this city and he's going to take you captive. Decades. He's prophesying. He's prophesying. Nobody listens to him. Right. The king of Babylon comes. He conquers the city. Tens of thousands of people in the nation are killed. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember those guys? They're taken captive along with many others. And that same Jeremiah stands up and he prophesies. And this is what he said. He said, build houses, plant vineyards, give your sons and your daughters in marriage, and pray for the prosperity and peace of the city that you're in. Because as it prospers, you're going to prosper. And I, the Lord, is going to come back and I'm going to take you and bring you out of Babylon. And eventually I'm going to bring you back to your own land. So here's what they do. Verse one, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. Now, here's what they can do. They can look at what they didn't do. Jeremiah told them, repent. And God's going to spare you. But they didn't. So what happened? The king came. Literally, their family members died. They lost all their possessions. They're taken captives as slaves. And that's what they began to think about. They sat down and they wept. But what they should have been thinking about was God's promise. Build a house. Plan a vineyard. Give your children in marriage. I'm going to bless you in this city, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to take you out of this city, and I am eventually going to bring you back to your own land. But they decide to think about what could have been and should have been and might have been. How many of you have made some big mistakes in your life? How many of you would like to go backwards and get rid of them? All right. But you know what? If you, if you focus on what could have been and what should have been and what you shouldn't have done instead of what you did do, how many of you know you can get depressed? 
In fact, they get very depressed. In fact, it says, we hung our harps in the willows in the midst of, you know, when you're thinking about all the mistakes that you made and how things went wrong and what could have been and what should have been and how you wish you hadn't, but you did and all the bad results, you don't want to praise God. What did they do? They hung their harps, which is their main musical instrument for worshiping God. They hang it up. You know, when you get depressed, you don't want to worship God. You don't want to be thankful to God. You just want to pout and woe is me. Look at how bad it is. If I hadn't, yeah, I could have, I should have, but I didn't. Look what happened and how bad it is in my life. It's a mess and everything sucks. <laughs> You're doing some bad thinking. But he will keep you in perfect peace when your mind, when your imagination, when your meditation is focused on him. Instead of meditating on the promises of God, they looked at everything that was wrong. And then they said, those who carried us away captive required of us a song. And those who plundered us required of us mirth, saying, sing if one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? You see, because they're captives, they aren't able to worship. They, they aren't able to praise. They're focusing on the wrong thing. And when you and I focus on the wrong thing, we give place to the devil. In fact, in Philippians chapter four, it says, be anxious for nothing or don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Now, notice it says, when we come to God and we petition God, we need to come with thanksgiving, right? With a heart of gratitude for where we are. Now, I know people, they're, they're praying, oh, God, things are so bad. Lord, my, my, my life is a mess. My life is going nowhere. Nothing is working out. God, it's terrible. My car is ruined. Oh, God, give me a new car. Oh, God, things are so bad. That's not praying. That's complaining. But we call that prayer. No, that's not prayer. That's complaining. Right? Now, let me give you an illustration. If I buy something for one of my grandkids, all right? And I give them the gift and they look at it and they go, oh, you know what I want to get for them? Nothing, nothing. But if they go, Papa, you are amazing. Papa, you're the best Papa in the world. Papa, I love you. Come give me a hug. It's all oh, Papa. Thank you so much. I'm like, what else do you want? So, so literally, that's what this verse is saying. A lot of times we go to God and we're like, God, my life is terrible. Everything's terrible. Oh, God, everything's horrible. God, will you do something? God. Listen, if you are not thankful for the house or the apartment that you live in, if God gives you a better one, you won't be thankful. And if you're not thankful for the car that you drive, you're not going to be thankful if God gave you a brand new one. Just give you about six weeks and you'll be just as in the dirt and in the mire and just as negative as you were before. So the Bible says when we go to God, how do we go? We go with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for what God has already done in our lives. All right. Uh, next, whatever next point would be. All right. Irrational fears and phobias. Now, as I mentioned before, 
Demons are fearful, all right? They are terrified beings, right? These spirits are afraid of what Jesus is going to do to them. Don't, don't send us out of the country. Don't cast us out, right? In Matthew 8, verse 29, and suddenly they cried out saying, what do we have to do with you, Jesus, son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? They're afraid of torment. They know the day is coming when they are going to be cast into a lake of fire and torment forever and ever and ever. And they are terrified. All right. Have you come to torment us before the time? Right. And literally when, when, when fear dominates a person's life, right, it can be motivated by an evil spirit. The Bible says God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. Right. The spirit of fear. Now, there's all kinds of fears. I just got a few of them written down here. Fear of insanity, fear of pain, fear of needles, fear of chickens, fear of garlic. I think that would make sense. Fear of riding in a car. Um, when, when we lived in Mexico in the Indian village, there was a man named Jorge. Now, Jorge was a mountain man. Um, he was 50, I believe, before he ever saw an automobile. All right? And he became like my guide. So I would take Jorge, when I was going to go out to an, an, an area where I had not been before, or if I was going to go up in the mountains and I needed a guide, I'd take Jorge. I had to have four or five, six bags, big plastic bags every time Jorge got in my car because he'd barf the whole way. All right. He, he had that fear of riding in a car, fear of fire, fear of stairs, fear of plants, fear of toads, fear of ugliness, fear of snow. This one makes sense. Fear of dentists. That one to me makes sense. You know, they say that there's only two fears that every person is born with, right? The fear of loud noises and the fear of falling. And that every other fear is acquired. Fear of growing old, fear of knowledge. A lot of people have this one, the fear of sermons. <laughs> Lots of people have that. The fear of vegetables, the fear of gaining weight, the fear of clothing, the fear of property, the fear of birds, fear of rejection, right? Um, People can, can fear failure because of something that happened in their life, right? But whenever a fear begins to dominate your life, right, it, the, the devil will try to come and use that as an entry point into your life, right? Wow. Um, we got two points today out of the 12. I, we didn't even do as good as last week. So I guess next week we're going to do it again. All right, we'll keep going. We've got 12 areas that, that you can see are literally an inroad for demon activity in our lives. So, but would you bow your head for just a moment? Listen, there, there's, there's a well over a thousand people that are here right now. And this is what I know um, there's people in all sorts of spiritual conditions, there's people that are here. You're right with God. You're living for God, and you know you're right with God. There's some people that are here, and at one time, you, you were living for God, but you drifted away. And you, you, what often is referred to as a backslider. You're away from God, but you need to come home, and you need to get right with God today. And we're going to pray in just a moment. And if you will pray this prayer, you can get back to God today. But there are many people I know this because uh, I was brought up in a home where we went to church. 
My dad was 49 years old. We went to church every Sunday. But he did not know if he was a Christian. He knew he tried to be a Christian. And if you had said to, to my dad, he says, you had said, uh, Mr. Vanderklok, are, are you you're going to go to heaven? This is what he would have said. He said, I hope so. I, I'm trying I'm trying to be a Christian and do the right thing. But he did not know until 10 days before he died. And, and, and here's what happened. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, is what happened. Right? This is what it says. It says that whosoever, that's you, will call on the name of the Lord. And we're going to do that in just a moment, the way the Bible shows us to. And this is God's promise we'll be saved. You see, in 1 John, it says this. We've written these things to you that you may know. Not hope, not find out when you die, but the, that you may know that you have everlasting life. See, you're supposed to know that you're forgiven, that you're right with God, that you're a part of his kingdom, that you're on your way to heaven. You're supposed to know that today. And when we don't know that, we're not where we should be with God. So if you're one of those people who say, I'm just not sure. If you will pray this prayer from your heart, God's promise is we'll be saved. So I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer with me. Pray it out loud. And I'm going to ask you to take one hand, place it over your heart. And just lift your other hand towards heaven where our help comes from. And I want you to repeat this prayer from your heart out loud. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. Victorious over death, over sin, over the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my king, my Lord, my savior, and I will live for him. I turn my back on my old life. I am not living for myself. I'm living for Jesus. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer. That I'm a part of your kingdom. Your family. Today and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.